What's up, fam? It's your boy, and you already know what time it is, baby. Hey, in today's episode of the Craig Houston Podcast, you sit down with me and my friend, Patricia Casanova, who's not only my friend, but my realtor as well, and mortgage consultant, Giovanni Angelis, as we get into a whole lot of details that you, as a first-time home buyer, would love to hear and information that you can use. We leave you with 10 tips that you should take on your home buying journey, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I want to introduce both of y'all to the world of uh, the Craig Houston Podcast. Thank y'all for being here. Actually, the realtor that actually helped me sell my home in California, um, great experience. Um, it was one of the first things that comes to mind is how do you ever actually deal with getting a realtor that you know makes the perfect fit for you? And Patty was the perfect fit for our family. Um, Patty doesn't know this. I actually went through about five actual realtors. Oh, wow. Actually, selecting just one. And actually, calling Patty. She had us on the phone. She hook line and synced us to actually get interviewed by her. And we actually wind up selecting Patty to be our realtor. And it was one of the most pleasant experiences that we've had. And actually, the whole process always through. She told us how to get in on a bid, how to underbid just ourselves just a little bit to get more people to come in with bigger offers. And they did. We actually had the house available on the market for a week. And this thing yep. I know we was in and out in 30 days. Over asking way before this crazy market. That's good. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> here today where we have Patty and then we have Giovanni Angelis. Like he's here with us as well. He's going to be the more consultant on a lot of things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, especially for you first-time home buyers out there. So if you don't have a pen, you don't have a pad, this is your opportunity to get it because we're going to get into a lot of details here. So I'll let Patty introduce herself a little bit more to the world, and then I'll let Johnny as well, and then we'll get into some questions. Patty, over to you. Thanks. Thank you, Craig. So my name is Patricia Casanova. I am a realtor here in the San Diego County. For I hang my license with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, as you can see in the background. I'm in the Chula Vista area. I've been in real estate really pretty much since I can remember. I started off as a telemarketer, then I became, um, I was a telemarketer, then I became an assistant, then I was a mom for a long time, and then now I'm back full time. Um, I'm a mother of three, I'm a mother of two Frenchies, and then um, yeah, nothing really more exciting than uh, I like to eat, drink wine, and... <laughs> And do real estate. <laughs> Off to you, Giovanni. Yes. So my name is Giovanni Angelis. I'm a branch manager at Liberty Mortgage. I've been in the business since 2005. I've uh, been helping a lot of first-time homebuyers, helping veterans as well, um, investors. And, you know, it's, it's a really fun business. And, you know, I really just enjoy helping people and taking that first step and helping them create wealth through real estate. And um, that's what I truly enjoy. And um, thank you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> hey, I appreciate both of y'all for being here. So we're going to uh, basically start off with one of the things that I, I started the conversation with was, you know, what kind of qualities that you need in a realtor? Because some realtors and some clients just don't fit. Right. Um, some of the things as a realtor perspective that you think about when it comes to actually knowing, Patty, that you actually mesh with the clients that you're actually going to uh, actually do business with. So what I really like to do is before I, you know, take over a client or a client chooses me, I feel that the very first thing that we have to do is interview ourselves, both of both parties. Um, I always like to start off 
when someone approaches me and tells me they either want to buy a property or sell their property, the very first thing that I do is schedule a time for us to meet in my office. Do you remember, Craig? <laughs> we came in and because I really want um, the client to get to know me as a person, who I am and what I represent, and also they get to know what, what I offer, what I bring to the table. But it, it goes both ways. It's very important that I also, both parties see eye to eye. Um, we both have to be on the same field, um, same, same field, I would say, you know, with, with the same goal, which is whether sell your house for the most or, you know, in these days, get your offer accepted and how we're going to get there because it is really teamwork. It is really teamwork. It's not just the realtor that does everything. It really, everybody plays a part. Um, so it's very important that first meeting when you meet with your realtor, make sure that, you know, not only remember, you're not only just interviewing that person, you know, the realtor is also interviewing you because it's so important that both have the same ultimate goal and everybody's on the same field. And that's what makes teamwork, you know, work. That's what really makes a successful transaction. I would say um, that's what I would say. Yes, I, I can tell you for uh for us, your personality popped off the screen. Like, especially when we like you convinced us over the phone. Someone else just literally like we'll come up, we'll we want to walk through the house to see it. We literally over the phone and, and like we was almost to a point where we was like, Well, we already had think that we had we were gonna go with and you were just like, I'm not saying that we're a perfect match. Uh, <laughs> saying that you maybe you should give me the opportunity by just you know Megan letting us meet, come down to the and you know, let's just have this conversation and see where it goes. And I can tell you, by the time we left the office from Berkshire Hathaway, we was floored about who we was going to select as our realtor. We had literally on the way home, and we already knew that we had. Uh, also, I think it's it's a little weird just showing up stranger showing up to your house, like you know, like hey, let's get to know each other. It's kind of like a first date, right? Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's like a first date. You want to get to know the person before you invite them over to your house. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. That's a perfect analogy for exactly how it should be. And that's what um, that's actually what got us in the right area of mindset to actually want to be there in the same deals, deals with you yeah. and with the partnership. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Up into the first question, then, right? Uh, besides actually figuring out how the relationship with a realtor is and how the, the, the realtor and client relationship should be. Giovanni, can you kind of walk us through? Uh, who qualifies as a first-term home buyer? A first-time home buyer um, is someone that hasn't written off any mortgage interest for the last three years. So even if you've owned a home previously, but you haven't owned one in the last three years and haven't written off that mortgage interest uh, on your income taxes, then you are considered a first-time home buyer. That's interesting because I literally just found that out in preparation for this uh show um, yeah it's really strange mm -hmm. it's like when, it's, when you, the, the way they call first term home buyers and what it actually defined is is something that's totally different when you say first term i think that's the first i bought my house the first time and okay every house i buy after that i don't get the same qualifications so that is very uh interesting that so basically if you haven't claimed on your taxes a home property on your taxes in the last three years correct. first term home buyer okay that's correct Okay, so what are some of the programs that um, I should say pro programs? Let's talk about what are some of the loans that a first-time home buyer has as options. 
Um, a first-time homebuyer has several options as far as financing is concerned. You're going to have your FHA options. You're going to have your conventional options. And then you're going to have your VA options as well. Um, with a conventional option, your minimum down payment is 3%. Uh, with an FHA, it's 3.5%. And well, with a VA loan, there is no down payment because it's 100% financing. So that loan program finances 100% of the sales price. Okay. Okay. Cool. So uh, let's talk about FHA for a long bit, a little bit. Who okay. are the ones who? What would be the criteria? Some of the criteria that would be needed to qualify for FHA loan. Um, well, you would need. Well, FHA is, as a matter of fact, one of the most flexible loan programs out there. So FHA is going to allow a lower credit score than maybe a conventional loan program. Okay. So the minimum credit score for FHA loan is 580 where with a conventional loan you're going to need at least a 620 and to get really good pricing you're going to need about a 640. so that's one of the credit that's one i guess one of the minimum criteria is that you have a minimum credit score of 580,000. the other criteria is that you have three and a half percent down okay so on a um so on a va loan is there a credit score needed for that as well there's no real credit score per se for the VA. However, it's still the banks lending the money. Right. Correct. So the banks are the investors. So the banks are going to require like a 600. It's okay. still low, right? Um, but there is a 600 credit score requirement. Okay. So when it comes to the conventional loan, I know you say it's 3%. So with it, so if it's so 3% is the minimum and 20% is obviously the max. Now, 20% can get you to where you don't have to put down PM, you won't be have to be covered by PMI insurance, correct? Correct. So anytime you finance over 80% of the value, you're gonna have a separate premium, which is mortgage insurance. Okay. Um, and conventional, conventional is a good loan program. They allow you to come into one three percent, but you are gonna have mortgage insurance. Um, and FHA, you're also gonna have mortgage insurance. There's some real differences between the two when it comes to the point where you're gonna want to remove the mortgage insurance. For example, with a conventional loan, you can call your bank, order an appraisal, and if indeed you have that 20% equity, they'll remove the mortgage insurance. If you're in an FHA loan though, even, if, even though you have 20, 30, 40, 50% of equity, you're always gonna be paying for that mortgage insurance. They don't care of the percentage of equity that you have. So eventually you'll want to refinance out of that FHA loan, remove the mortgage insurance and put yourself into a conventional loan program. So one of the main things out of, uh, from a hearing about the FHA loans where a lot of people kind of refinance out of those is because of the PMI insurance on it. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so uh, now I know uh, this is uh, this is going to be more so uh, county driven or state driven in, in certain uh, what is there some type of first-term home buyer programs that are out there for people to take advantage of? Absolutely. There's always, I recommend that you check with your local city, your local county and state. They're, they will all have a down payment assistance program. For example, here in California, for us in San Diego, we have a Cal Half loan. They will allow you 3%, or grant you rather, 3% for down payment and 4% or 2%. 2 right in that range for closing costs so um and then we have a county program where they can grant you or lend you about 17 percent 
you come in with your own 3%. When you, when you add those two, then you only finance 80%. So you technically don't have mortgage insurance in that down payment assistance program. And it's a real good loan program here in our local county, San Diego and San Diego City as well. See, now this is the problem where I, I'm not going to say I had a bad realtor when I bought my house. <laughs> Let's say she wasn't. Patty, my house, I had a different uh, realtor for buying a house. That is something I wish I would have known. Back Obviously, I had the VA law, so it wasn't a big deal. But, man, could you imagine I had 3% and all I had to do was put, get 17.5% from the county if I qualified for it? That's crazy. Right, 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 right. Now, I do have to add, though, that whenever you're using an assistance, you're basically using other people's money, right? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So when you do that, there are going to be some very strict guidelines that you're going to have to meet. There is typically always a minimum credit score of 640 FICO for these assistance. Okay. Uh, typically, there are income limits as well. You know, they don't want you making over an X dollar amount for yes. a family of, you know, X, right? Right. So um, the box gets a little bit smaller to fit in. But those programs are really good. It'll get you in the door. And um, I recommend that you check in with your local county and your local city and state. Yeah. And that's what this series is about, you know, building wealth uh, through real estate, because people don't realize that basically when you get into real estate, you're giving yourself a leg up and actually, you know, dye your portfolio to a point where you can continue to grow in real estate, right. especially if your portfolio keeps growing into different properties, right. give you an opportunity to get in at the basically on the bottom floor and work your way to the top because you can actually hold that asset for years on years and you got in with very little capital at the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's another thing that happens, right? After after the years and years, you're building equity, mm -hmm. correct? Your property value is increasing lately, right? And your balances, your principal balance is going down at a later date. Um, you can always maybe borrow against your house versus, you know, at a lower interest rate versus maybe getting a credit card at a really high interest rate or a mm -hmm. personal loan at a really high interest rate. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... For both of you, whichever one you want to go first, uh, what is some of the problems that you usually try to make sure that you are aware of when you go into the process of dealing with a first-term home buyer? Well, credit awareness mm -hmm. is, is a big thing. Um, telling people what or how to manage their credit after they've started the process, making sure that they're not overspending. I always encourage everybody to make yourself a budget, see what you can afford, um, and really credit awareness. Don't Go out and buy a new car while you're in the process. Don't go out and get a brand new credit card. Don't add more debt or any more liabilities so that you may qualify for, you know, for more or a, a bigger home. Patty, over to you. Well, for me, I would have to say, you know, I'd like to sit down with the first time home buyer. And uh, first I sit down and meet with the, I talk with the lender. I have a really good conversation with their preferred lender. Um, a lot of uh, my my buyers, I always have them meet with Giovanni first. And then, um, you know, th this is a, a choice that I, I, I give them, but it's very important for me to have a clear communication with not just the buyer, but also with their preferred lender, because I want to know exactly what their lender is telling them. Because sometimes first time home buyers, their expectations are either, they, they, it could be very, very high. 
And it's very important for me to, when be, as soon as I meet with the first time home buyer, and if, especially if they're going to be doing this first time home buyer program, if they're going to be using it, then I like to not only meet with the client, but also have a really good conversation with their preferred lender. That's to me, it's very important. Expectations probably is one of the, the for me, when, when I sit down and meet with, with the first time home buyer, sometimes their expectations are a little bit, you know, up here. And it always, it's like that with first time home buyers, with second home buyers. I mean, the expectations are here. It takes about two to three months for them to get into the groove and just, you know, start feeling the market and kind of get a, a better feel. But for me, aside from, you know, the lender taking care of the, of the credit and have making sure that they don't go out and buy new furniture before they close, that's a big one. That's a big New one. appliances before they close. I mean, I've had it to where we're about to close and they go buy a washing machine and they go finance it at Home Depot. And we're like, no. And you keep telling the buyer and you keep telling them and reminding them, hey, don't don't be out there getting a new credit card or don't go out there and, you know, spending wait until we close. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a big one. But expectations on the real on for me as a realtor expectations is probably um, one of the I wouldn't say a challenge, but it would be you know, the, the one thing that I like to sit down and get a very clear idea of where they are with their expectations. Okay. So basically is, you know, it is setting the expectation and understanding that and hoping that the client, you know, reciprocate by understanding, basically you met with the, uh, the, uh, the home buyer, you understand that the home buyer is a client that, you know, that y'all both are willing to work together. Uh, they basically now understand some of the programs and loan options that they actually mm -hmm. Uh, Giovanni, did that lead us up to the pre-approval process? Correct. This lead us right up to the pre-approval process. And in the pre-approval process, if you're working with a direct lender like we are, there are three things that we're going to look at. We're going to look at your income. We're going to look at your credit. We're going to look at your assets. Income, what are we looking for? Income, well, we're looking for stability. We're going to be looking at your income for the last two years. Is your income declining? Is it declining? What's happening? You know, are you uh, making more money? Are you making less money? Why are you making less money, right? Your credit, we're going to look at your credit as well. We're going to, you know, go over your payment history. Um, talk about maybe if you have collections or if you have late payments, what those were about, because we will most likely have to explain it to them, to the bank. And then we're going to look at your assets, assets as well. Um, where is the down payment coming from? Where is the where are the closing costs coming from? And make sure that those funds are seasoned and sourced. Meaning, the first part is seasoned part. We would the funds need to be seasoned in the bank account for two months, right? And then sourced. Where is this money coming from? Is it payroll money? Is it your four hundred one k money? You know, is it cash? Hopefully not cash, right? But uh, those are the three things that we're looking at. Those are the three pillars, income, credit, and your assets. So cash is the hardest one to prove then. When you're going absolutely. There's no, there's no trade. Yeah. We don't know where it came from. The source is, you know, mysterious. Okay. So, so if you made a cash deposit two months ahead of time for a home loan that you wanted to take on, it's still the toughest thing to prove. Well, Again, we ask for two month bank statement. So if I see the deposit, then yes. If I don't see the deposit, 
then it's got you, got you. Yeah. So, wow, I didn't really think about the whole cash thing as an issue where it may come up to where you have to explain, and then it's really like, okay, you still got to kind of document where it came from. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, and it's it has to do with privacy laws and money laundering right. laws and things of that nature. Okay, so um, I know we are getting to it, but what is the difference between pre-approval and the approval process as you as you approve for the home loan that you're actually going to take on as underwriting? Okay, a uh, a pre-approval is just someone that basically looked at your stuff and wrote a letter and say, yeah, you qualify. Um, what we actually do is we again we scrub your income, we scrub your assets, we scrub your credit, and we go through the whole process and we get it underwritten. Uh, by an automated system or another writer, and then we can issue out your letter, and we can we also issue out a, an approval, so that when you submit your offer, you can submit your offer with a pre-approval and your approval as well, so that the seller and the selling party realize and know that this person has gone through the extra steps to make sure that they can open escrow and close ex- escrow successfully and in a timely manner. Okay, okay, copy. Um, so. All right, so we have the pre-approval letter, and the now the home buyer is going shopping, right, Patty? <laughs> this is where I back off, and this is where she comes back in the game, and that's really where the fun begins. No one wants to deal with paperwork. No one wants to deal with income and credit. You know, the fun part is looking at homes. Here I come. Oh, so. yeah, is that so? Is that what we had? So you're going shopping, and now I know there has to be an expectation set at home. So- when it, I would rather, when, when I have a client that's a buyer, I would rather have them have an approval versus a pre-approval, especially in these days because it's so competitive right now. I want to make sure that my client is, you know, when we go to submit that offer, it's there at the top and the seller knows and the seller's agent knows that we have an approved, not a pre-approval, an approved buyer. Correct. Um Oh, slow down for me one second there. Why is that so important for you to make sure that the other uh, seller knows that you have an approval versus an approved pre-approval? Like Giovanni said, a pre-approval is just somebody looking at your file and just giving you a letter like, oh, yeah, you you qualify. You, you look good on paper. You qualify. And a pre-approval is a little bit more in depth. Wouldn't you say? Yes. We've okay. already mm-hmm. again, scrubbed through the income, scrubbed the assets. Scrub the credit. Mm-hmm. Oh. So when when I go to submit my offer and I have my approval letter from you know the preferred lender that my client chooses, then I my the seller's agent and the seller is able to see that I have an approved buyer ready to go, ready to open escrow. So oh. that to me, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll still continue to do work with a pre-approval, but with being so things being so competitive right now. I would rather have my the seller and the seller's agent know that the hey we are serious buyers. Not only are we we're ready to open escrow tomorrow if you accept our offer, and so, having an approval letter from it it just assures them that we're qualified and ready to go. Got you. So this is based on contingencies, then basically. But you don't want you don't want the loan to be in pre-approval because if it's in pre-approval. It could fall through for some odd reason, like you said. Somebody go buys a washer or a furniture. But contingencies are a little bit different. That would be the loan contingency. 
But that plays into, you know, that comes into place, you know, first you got to go through inspections and we got to go through the appraisal for Mm -hmm. me to come in with an approval and a good offer, a very strategic offer that works that me and my client have already talked and discussed and we're okay with the terms and the date of the contingencies and Mm -hmm. everybody's on board, then, you know, having that approval letter for me is very important for me to be able to get my client the property that they want and get their offer accepted. Gotcha. So I guess the one thing is, so so in this loan process, we were saying, um, when you go in with your client and start home shopping, basically you want the approval because that tells you the fair value dollar that they can actually approve all the way up to. You're going in at that price at the max if you need to, but definitely you got wiggle room if you need it as well. Would you say that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the main goal is to remain. The, the main goal is to help our buyer stand out from all the other buyers. We do so by taking extra steps, and one of the some of the extra steps is getting the person approved, mm-hmm. where everything's been looked at, everything's been scrubbed. This way, we're competing out there, multiple offer situations, and we want to make sure that our buyer stands out. As, uh, as a buyer that is serious and is ready to open escrow. So Patty, does it put you on a stricter timeline when it's already an approval in place? No, I mean, so I believe the approval is good for what, three months? Right. So after three months, if we still don't have a property, which in some cases it, it's been the case because it's been so competitive, then at that time, then the lender will reissue me another approval letter. Got you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're going shopping with the uh, the buyer and y'all looking at properties. So do y'all have a, I know you've already met with them and kind of like understood what yeah. they're looking for and shopping for, but now that they have the letters in place and now you're about to start going shopping, the market may have shifted in that week or two in between the loan approval process. Do you re-engage about what are still some of the things they're looking for? Or you start sending them to MLS right away? I put them on an automated system and I'm constantly checking. So for properties that, you know, that I go back and I check for back on markets or if anything was, you know, for what, you know, I go back and I look at old inventory as well for for my clients. Um, You know, with the market shifting, we just... I have to just study the MLS every day before I send them out the properties. I have to look at what's going on on the market. But pretty much we set, we have a goal when we first meet, we sit down, we have a goal, we know what type of property that we want. We know the price that we want to be at. You know, as far as um, with the market changing, then absolutely, if, if the market goes up a little bit more and the prices go up, then I have to redirect my search and, you know, adjust it to get what it is that they're looking for still with the same idea, but maybe adjusting it in price a little bit. So I know with uh, actually being in San Diego is one of the hottest real estate markets out here in, in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that, Have your some of your clients been priced out of their price ranges due to, you know, what their expectations were in the first place? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll share the story with you. Um, they, I had a buyer that we were both working and when we first started, mm-hmm. um, he was just like, nope, it's too expensive. I don't want to go that high. You know, he started submitting offers and um, I I said, hey, come in at this price. You know, I know it's higher than what you think the house is worth. 
but really I, I really do feel that it this is the house based on how the market is moving i really do think that this this will get you the house he passed on it passed mm. on it said, no i want to go up to this price and this is where i want to stay months later months later maybe like six months i mean it was getting to the point where he was like you know what I don't want to do this anymore. I don't have patience for this. My heart keeps getting broken every time I submit an offer. I am done. So I, I went door knocking for him and I said, look, I'm going to find you a house mm. in that same area that you wanted to be at. I did find him a house, but they ended up not buying the one that I went door knocking. But I did find him another one. We ended up paying, I think, was it 20000 At least 20 to thirty. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Above of where I had told him initially to come in at. Mm. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I've been reading articles lately, especially uh, in Bloomberg and in other articles as well, like Wall Street Journal. You know, I've been seeing that bidding wars have been about 76% of actually offers that's being put in initially have been contested. And it's very, it's very hard because I know that a lot of the offers that are that are submitted, they remove contingencies, they waive appraisal contingencies, and I just, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, I always tell my my buyers whenever I meet with them, you know, we'll sit down when it's time to write the offer. We're going to go through the purchase contract and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about a strategy about, you know, how we're going to submit the offer and you know, explain really the contingency dates. I do give them the option, hey, you can waive your contingencies, but I strongly don't suggest that's something to do, especially when you're, you know, with your inspections, with the appraisal, you know, I really don't feel comfortable doing that. So I just say, hey, patience, you know, let's, patience right now is probably number one. Patience is key right now, I would say. So with the uh, contingencies, like that's, I, I understand exactly what you mean, that that's the kind of dangerous contingencies you can uh, waive. Well, you can waive your inspection contingencies and you can waive your appraisal contingencies. Now, if you waive your inspection contingencies and then you buy the house and you still have, you still should go in and, and do your inspections, right? I mean, you still have the ability to go in and do your inspections. The thing is, you can't cancel because you've removed it. So if you uh, if you submit your offer with um, with removing your inspection contingencies, then you know then you're buying the house as is. You know, and what if there's something wrong with plumbing, with foundation, with you know things that you don't you weren't expecting, right? Um, and then obviously the appraisal contingency, which is you you know are you do you want to pay more than what the house is worth? It, or, you know, I don't know. Contingencies, yeah. Contingencies are basically markers that help protect the consumer, mm -hmm. help protect the buyer. One of them, for example, like she mentioned, is inspection. Make sure that the property, you know, passes yes. the inspection. Satisfied. Appraisal contingency. Make sure that the property is worth, you know, the value that you're in contract. And then you're going to have your loan contingency, which is absolutely... I'm going to say your last contingency to ever release. Um, but these are markers set in place by the contract to help protect the consumer and help protect their rights, which is ultimately what we want to do, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be able to help the buyer. We want to be able to put them in a good situation financially 
and a good home, but we also want to protect their rights Absolutely. and want to make sure that they buy a good property. So these are markers to help do that. Mm -hmm. So waiving these contingencies obviously puts you as a variable, right? As, as a certain level of risk. Um, so you just be cautious if ever doing so. Yeah, definitely. Right. Absolutely. So, and that's one of the things that I don't recommend doing ever. <laughs> just be patient. Absolutely. So back to the bidding war part of it, psychologically that has to beat down home you were saying about your one oh, yeah. how do you keep them engaged in the home buying process when they start to see that you know they're getting beat out by cash offers or people wa waiving contingency you know it's 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 hard it really is because it is it it could be very it's stressful it's a stressful situation, definitely. Um, I have had some some buyers that have said, you know what, I'm just going to hold off. I'm just going to wait and and wait it out mm -hmm. and and see what happens. And I do have the the buyers that see the light at the end of the tunnel and say, you know what, I'm just going to continue to move forward. Um, it's very hard to try to keep them in a very in a positive in a positive note because it's. I feel like sometimes I'm. You know, as an agent, it's also hard because I'm all constantly trying to schedule the be be the first one to, to look at the house, or you know, to, trying to you know make sure that that I'm we whatever I can do for my buyer to make sure we look at the house first, we submit the highest and best, we um, strategize over you know the offer that we're going to submit. And, and also it's also emotional for the consumer. It's emotional for the buyer, you know, where, Hey, hurry up, let's go see the property. Hey, let's submit this. Let's do this. Let's work it out this way. So it is very challenging. I haven't, I don't have the key asked or the secret sauce as of yet to know, you know, how I can keep them um, positive and, and with, with a positive outlook. It's just a matter of, always knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel you right. know i mean there's there's so much a, that we could both do it and it's challenging it could be very challenging these days so in san diego what's the average time for a house to come on come available on the market and come off at this point in time Ooh, it's like a week a week seven days a week it is crazy it is crazy i mean you put out you put a property on the market and you see it on there for nine days and you're like, hey, what's wrong with this one? Wow. It's sold. Yeah. It's so man, that's crazy. Seven days is uh is not a lot of time. So basically, that's like a full-time job for not only you, but for the client as well at that point yeah. in time. Yeah, you actually bring up a good point. I think the flexibility is key for clients, right? Uh, the more flexible you are is in regards to like what areas you want to live in, the more options you're going to have, the more inventory uh, you're going to have available to you. So just being flexible and being patient. And and when a property does come out in the market, having that time, that flexibility to go out and see it instead of like, you know, saying, yeah, I'll go on the weekend. Well, guess what? It won't be, it won't be, it won't be around for in the weekend. You know, you got to go tonight. You got to go see it tonight. I've seen it to where they're hosting open houses on Thursdays from 9.30 to 11 a.m. Mm -hmm. On a Thursday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I just saw that. I, was, I called the, the the listing agent and I said, hey, my client wants to see it. Well, they can come to the open house I'm having on Thursday from 9.30 to 11. So I'm you like, can't see it. You can't see it. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's crazy. And I guess, I mean, because so we're really in the trenches of a seller's market at this point in time. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, okay, so I guess that leads me to my next question of national average is saying that they're expecting to see 13 to 18% gains in the housing market between now and 2020. Mm -hmm. How are first-time home buyers actually going to be able to actually get into a home at this point in time? Is they going to have to have be approved for a whole lot more or they're going to have to, you know, put down way more cash out of their own pockets? What are some of the things that it may be a challenge for them at this point in time with home prices? Mm -hmm. Climate. Well, maybe they could un in, in their offer. Maybe they could offer their left kidney and their firstborn. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Subscription to Netflix, paid yeah, for. <laughs> but you bring up a good point. Affordability, right? Yeah. Affordability. You know, it's rates. There's a lot of pressure for interest rates to keep rising. There's a lot of market pressure, and. Um, you know, homes are appreciating, like you said, another 10 to 18%. So how are families doing it? Well, it's, they're getting together, you, you know. Combining incomes. Yeah, they're combining incomes. That's that's the way to do it. I mean, that's how some people are doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, cause I, uh, I mean, I still get the uh, red fan report for, for our last house. And it was like, man, that thing's almost $700,000 now. Like. <laughs> You can't, you can't imagine I bought that when we bought it for for four hundred and thirty. Like at this mm -hmm. point, so yeah. I can see these prices are just going up and going up. But I think also people have fear of prices coming down so drastically in the next couple of years as well. Too is that something that they should be worried about, or you think home prices are just going to stay steady uh, through all this time that we? Um, I'd like to. I, it, it has to do with just real basic supply and demand, right? So. Yeah. We're in a housing shortage, at least locally here in San Diego, California. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have less homes and more buyers, I think demand is there and the prices will continue going up. Mm. Yeah. So because I, I was looking at uh, KBH homes, they are still behind about uh, well, it wasn't KBH. I think I was looking on the uh, first okay, new builders, mm -hmm. new construction by like another 19 to 20,000 homes per county uh, behind mm -hmm. in building. You know, obviously, we can see we ain't gonna get into economics at this point, but lumber is going up higher. Um, exactly, the cost, yeah. the cost to build is going up. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really crazy. Um, so um, let's uh, talk about how do you uh, walk them through preparing the best offer, Patty, when it comes to making an offer on a home? Well, highest and best. <laughs> highest no, but I would best. say definitely have make sure you have your proof of funds you know, submit it with an actual approval, um, a, a well-filled out, complete uh, contract or offer. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Make sure that we have the proof of funds ready to go, your pre-approval, but really, um, you know, it's, it's like that buyer that I was just telling you about, you know, being aware of the market and how fast mm -hmm. it's going and how competitive it is. So when I say highest and best, you know, let's offer really, you know, what you feel the home is worth. Are you okay with offering $20,000 above asking? Because right now that is really the norm. Um, people are at offering above asking and you can pull comps and you, you know, and that's what I do. I pull up comps, but now I'm starting to get in the habit of also not only pulling up comps 
from the properties that have sold, but I'm also looking at pendings because that lets me know how the market is moving, mm. right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's very important. You don't want to overpay for the property, but at the same time, you know, if you really want to become a homeowner in this market, you also mm -hmm. got to be aware of how the market is moving. Um, and that's what I say, you know, highest and best right now. I've had clients that were on a waiting list for new construction, mm -hmm. and that's literally what they said. You know, we're sold out, but we have a few left. Submit your highest and best. And that's new construction. Yeah, so that's uh, so you're, you're basically as a buyer, you're in a kind of like in a in a situation where you're locked into this box of you have no option if you want to be competitive to not think that you're getting a deal. You got to understand that the deal is you may have to pay for the deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to pay to play. <laughs> mm, yeah. It, it really is. And, and also, you know, getting them prepared, you know, having the buyer educated on and that's when the first time, you know, the, the buyer's presentation really comes into play, because then we can talk about, you know, the approval, the proof of funds, but also, you know, um, the earnest money deposit that we call the EMD. That's a big part of it, too. You know, um, it used to be where I I. I it 1% of purchase price what is what you would typically see but now it's kind of like the more deposit that you put in it feels like you have more skin in the game mm. um you know also the more down payment i i see a lot of sellers you know and i've seen this representing buyers i I've, I've seen where some buyers are qualified for you know they can come up with come in with a 3% down and they look at my offer and we have a strong emd earnest money deposit which can be like you know, you know, 2% purchase price, but they see us coming in with a 3% and they're like, no, we're going to go with this offer that is coming in with 20%. Yeah. So, get you know, yeah. So you know, pretty much just educating the buyer and giving them all the information and just kind of you know, when I say educate and walk them through, explain how the market is doing, um, that comes in with, you know, expectations of what expectations, what can you expect from this current market? And that is just something that, you know, so, you know, keeping them motivated. Well, that would probably be, you know, also having yeah. having them know and be educated in that or know, you know, what to expect during the process. Yeah, I don't think nobody's sleeping in this market uh, yeah. market, not knowing how booming the housing market is. But I think that, you know, some people get emotionally tied to a house when they see it and they put that offer in. They think, oh, that's going to be mine. But then they don't really know. They all realize that it's a hawk coming through. Yeah. <laughs> With no percent down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It right? is true. Yeah. yeah. It's really, uh, I think that's well in, in our you know, hopefully we have a follow-up uh, podcast after this where we talk about sellers, you know, how the sellers are actually thriving in this market right now and what does it take to be a, a seller at this point in time? And who's selling these days? Yeah, who's selling? Who is selling these days? We ran into, we ran, we got out here and we found houses was, and at that point in time, we thought they was out, out too priced out for our uh, liking and then... Mm -hmm. Like you said, it never came down. So it just, they just keep trekking up. So it's just like, you know, who who is selling their property at this time? Because now you go and knocking on doors. It's like you knock on the door. Somebody's return or rebuttal is going to be, where am I going to move to? <laughs> right. Know? 
Oh yeah, that's exactly, yeah, I, I deal with that. But then, you know, I have, uh, let's talk about that really quick. We'll touch on that subject. I got this guy over here, this one over here that doesn't help the inventory because look, he's already making a face, you know, he, he believes that you should keep your property and rent it out. I, I believe in creating wealth through real estate. Okay. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like I'm on your page too, Giovanni. I'm with you. <laughs> you see? We need the inventory. But you're right. Who is selling, right? Because I, a lot of people do want to create wealth through real estate, correct? But it's, don't you correct wealth by selling? Especially no. in the market? Well, yeah, we're but we're on different seasons in life, right? Some of us are in spring, some of us are in our summer, some of us are fall, right? Some yeah. of us are winter. So, so, so I will say I'm gonna give my two cents on this, Patty. You're gonna probably be like, "Oh God, I, I should have started." <laughs> <laughs> you should have said it, Patty. <laughs> two cents. My is that if you are in active duty in the military, I'm 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 guilty of selling, but really and truly, you probably shouldn't sell any of them because. If you just move from property to property and you put a renter in there, you, now you have multiple assets. If they, if the Navy or Army or Marines decide to move you anywhere, that's an asset you have at another location, but you have a real estate property because you're putting the renter in there now. And then you're moving into another property that the government, once again, is going to give you zero down on. They're going to live there. And now you're living there for however many years you're growing equity in two properties versus one property, or now they're turning it into three properties. And it's just a cascading effect where you could be a millionaire just actually owning real estate and where this whole conversation builds around building your wealth through real estate. Like how I tied that in, right? I like how I did that. <laughs> but I believe in that. I truly believe in that. I do too. And I think it's, a, it's, it's one of the things that we don't teach often enough in the military where the military just say, hey, you got these benefits. Hey, you get this allowance, but at the end of the day, those are things where if these uh, young uh, veterans and uh, or ones who could do uh, their full time understand mm -hmm. in a 20 year career, you can have maybe five houses. I've moved four times since I've been in the military. If I would have thought about this, then I would have probably four properties at that point in time. Right. And those four properties with this booming in the market, that could possibly be, you know, sitting eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars worth of real estate. That you're making cash capital on over that time frame too, and that is why we have a shortage. Thanks. No comment. <laughs> and it, I mean, yeah, you're right, absolutely. It's not going to like it's going to end no time soon. We look like we may be shorted to at least about 2025 from mm -hmm. what projections at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we talked about you know pretty much all the things that uh ten tips that home buyers should look into uh, when they're actually considering buying real estate, especially in this hot market in 2022. But is there anything else you want to leave uh, the listeners with at this point in time? I would just say when you when you do get a realtor and a loan officer, make sure you have a good team working for you um, because it is going to require a team to get you in escrow. It is going to require a team to get you out of escrow and it's going to require a team to get your offer accepted. So that's kind of what I would just encourage. Make sure you have a good team, a good uh, realtor, lender, partner relationship, business relationship. Someone, you know, that will answer your phone calls during the weekend, answer your questions or concerns, or if you're freaking out and you just need someone to chat. But, mm -hmm. um, but basically, yeah, you just, you need a good team working for you. And if you guys have any questions, you know, we would definitely love to help you. Definitely, definitely. Patty, anything? Um, that you 
And I, you know, for me, I would say, even though it's competitive right now, this market really is very competitive here in mm -hmm. San Diego, but there is light at the end of the tunnel and real estate is still the best investment that you, that, that there is. Um, like you just said earlier, you know, even if you just purchase it and, you know, live in it for a little bit and rent it out or sell it, you know, either <laughs> or, sell. <laughs> or sell it, it's still, um, it's not a loss in this, in this market. It isn't a loss. I would say it's still real estate is still a, a good investment. I think it was Mark Twain that said, um, uh, buy land. They don't make any, any more land or something like that. You know, I, I strongly okay. believe in that. Is, wasn't it Mark Twain? I think it, I see it all the time. <laughs> Maybe it was Patricia that said that. <laughs> okay. All right. So I appreciate y'all for both being here. Once again, thank you, Patty, uh, Patricia Casanova, and Jill for actually showing up for me today and doing this podcast with us. Man, we maybe need to rent it back again for the stellar side of the house, but we'll talk oh, about I would love to. <laughs> I don't think he needs to be here for that. It's all about just creating wealth, right? It is. It is. It's about creating wealth. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we are signing off from the Craig Houston Podcast. Can you guys stand by? Mm -hmm.